Hi, welcome to the third episode of the Enterprise Monetization Podcast, and this is your host Sandeep Jain. In this podcast, we invite thought leaders and practitioners from enterprise monetization space, that is CPQ, billing, revenue operations, uh, so that you can learn about challenges, opportunities, and best practices in enterprise monetization. Today, our guest is Parag Kulkarni. Parag is SVP of SaaS applications at Nutanix. Uh, previously, he was at companies such as Juniper and NetScreen. And Parag and I have talked about this subject of CPQ, I guess a couple of years ago when I was doing research in this space. So it's great to talk to you again, Parag, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandeep. Uh, pleasure to be here. Great. So Parag, before we begin, can you share a fun fact about yourself uh, with the audience? Oh, okay. Uh, fun fact. Uh, oh, how about this? Uh, uh, I'm a big cricket fan. Now, most people from India are big cricket fans, so nothing new there. But I did play cricket a lot. And there was a time when I was young, uh, there was a conscious choice made whether I continue studying or play cricket. So I played cricket at uh, Mumbai University level. I played under 16 cricket. Uh, and interestingly, I actually played cricket with some of the folks at a junior level who ultimately ended up going and representing India. So fun fact, that that's my fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking back, do you repent not sort of going into that direction versus w- working into the hard tech or whatever world? No, not really, because, uh, uh, you know, those were, you know, the, I'm talking about 90s where there was no IPL. So cricketers, oh, were, yeah. most cricketers were not making any money. So I think my parents did the right thing of you know, <laughs> nudging me towards or away from cricket is how it was. So. Okay. Was good, you know. <laughs> and so Parag, uh, can you talk more about the your journey into Nutanix and, and your professional background for the audience? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I come from a, a core engineering background, uh, started my career actually writing uh, some code for a subsidiary of British Telecom in India. So I was actually writing hardcore telecom based code. Uh, then uh, came over to the U.S. in the late 90s. Did, again, a lot of engineering work, uh, worked with the big five at that time, the Deloitte, Arthur Anderson, Accenture, and so on, on various implementations. And then when I got tired of traveling, uh, ended up taking a, a role more in the valley so that I didn't have to travel. And that started my journey through you know, NetScreen, onto Juniper, uh, then at uh, Nutanix, where I've been... Uh, um, you know, I joined Nutanix in late 2013 when it was a true startup, like 250 to 75 people. Um, I've been there since for almost seven and a half years. Um, and I also have done a lot of different things as the company has grown. Where today uh, I'm responsible for uh, SaaS engineering, which uh, is a loose umbrella that includes, uh, you know, three distinct, uh, at the same time, interconnected teams where uh, one of my team builds uh, engineering applications uh, engineering SaaS applications, so whether it's uh, billing, identity access management, collection of data, sizing, uh, second team that is more responsible around the data engineering, data analytics, data science, and then the third team, which is not necessarily a more traditional structure, more, more unique to Nutanix or some of the more modern companies, is the team that actually is responsible for business applications. So three teams that kind of are distinct at the same time interconnected and work on you know, end-to-end initiatives at Nutanix. 
Great. And uh, Parag, just can you describe quickly what Nutanix does for people who may not be aware, which I think won't be the case, but just can you quickly describe the Nutanix? <laughs> so, so Nutanix is in the hybrid cloud infrastructure space. Uh, I'd say we are one of the leaders uh, who make it easy to deploy applications on-prem as well as in the cloud and manage them very easily. One of our taglines is making cloud invisible. So it doesn't matter where your apps are running. Uh, it should be super easy, super simple uh, to run these apps. So uh, in the business of hybrid cloud infrastructure, that would be the easiest way to describe Nutanix. Understood. And since we are, this podcast is about monetization or code to cash, could we start from the, the basics? Like Nutanix is a public company now. So like how much roughly, I think your re- revenue is 1 billion plus. I don't know the exact number, but uh, like how much is your revenue? What are your channels for selling? And are there customers like SMBs, big enterprises, individuals? Like, can you give us a sense about your your customers and your business? Yeah, your, your revenue numbers are correct, right? We are, uh, you know, above a billion dollars and, uh, and growing. Um, in terms of our customers, uh, they're spread around the world. So we have customers around the world and it's, it's a good cross-section of customers. Uh, we have large enterprises, we have federal customers. Uh, we also um, have smaller companies who are trying things out in terms of um, hybrid infrastructure. So it's, it's a large cross-section of customers. I wouldn't necessarily call out any specific customer names, but it's literally the who's and who uh, in terms of the Fortune 500. You can go to our website at Nutanic.com and uh, look up you know, case studies pretty much in every possible industry where customers are leveraging Nutanix products, whether it is uh, you know, running their apps uh, on-prem, uh, whether it's databases on-prem, whether it is VDI, whether it is applications that span public and private cloud. So all kinds of different combinations of customers. Uh, in terms of history of Nutanix, uh, we started, we actually invented a space called uh, uh, hyper-converged uh, in infrastructure. Um, and then over time grew and that kind of moved from hyper-converged infrastructure to hybrid cloud infrastructure. It's still HCI, but uh, <laughs> hybrid cloud infrastructure. Also, as a company, we started selling um, appliances. So basically a hardware box and a software all bundled together, sold with a perpetual license. Uh, and then over time, moved more to becoming a software company where our software would run on most uh, uh, you know, major server platforms in the market. Um, and then now moving from just being a software company to becoming more of a subscription company where we sell uh, term-based contracts. We also do uh, usage-based uh, contracts and so on. So a combination, a journey, uh, not, not very different from you know, some of the companies like Adobe where you've gone from you know, appliance to software to now almost completing a journey of towards becoming a subscription company. So hopefully that answered your question about Nutanix. Yes, uh, and a few more uh, follow-ups here. Uh, how many SKUs roughly in your catalog? Is it like hundreds or thousands? No, we, we are not the hundreds. We are the thousands uh, of <laughs> SKUs kind of company. Uh, and I know where you're going with this question. Uh, and, and, and part of that is just because our journey, right? As we have moved from uh, being a, um, an appliance-based company where we did configure to order, so naturally more SKUs and more combinations to becoming a software to a subscription company. This is usually a transition. It's not like a flip of a switch where, you know, you still keep the old stuff going and then you slowly phase that out while you go to a new model. So we are in the uh, thousands, not in the hundreds, but also we have conscious, you know, projects or conscious effort that we put in 
to reduce, simplify our skew structure, make it simpler and so on. But uh, yes, skew sprawl is a problem. Understood. Right? Not, not very different from most companies in this space. Got it. And uh, currencies that you transact in, is it USD or is it more than that? No, it's USD. Plus, we also have capability to transact in euros. Uh, we actually have done some deals in the Korean won. Uh, so we are set to do uh, multi-currency where needed, uh, specifically in um, Asia Pac and so on. Um, but most of our business is in US dollars. Got it. And can you talk about different sales channels? I know the direct sales is going to be pretty heavy uh, for you. You will have a partner sales as well. Uh, but do you have mm-hmm. self-serve? Do you sell Nutanix stuff on the market uh, places like AWS or GCP? Yeah, so interesting question. So direct is not our primary model. Actually, we are more traditional Silicon Valley kind of player where most of our business is through the channel. So we work with uh, channel partners, the large distis and the you know resale partners, value-added resellers. So most of our business actually goes through the channel. Uh, but as we move towards subscription, uh, we've also built uh, capabilities to do online selling. So online direct selling, whether it is usage-based uh, selling and so on. So, so that's, that's really uh, how, how we end up uh, doing more things. So primarily channel model, uh, some direct sales, but again, direct sales is not necessarily the focus. And then in terms of your second part of a question, whether we have Nutanix uh, on uh, in the marketplace for some of the public cloud players. So we actually uh, have an offering that works on AWS uh, where you can actually uh, spin up uh, Nutanix operating system or Nutanix software on AWS. Uh, we are working closely with AWS on uh, some of the marketplace integration and the same thing with Azure. So our first two real uh, offerings are on AWS and Azure and more to come later. Understood. And you said that your business goes through the channel, but you do have direct sales employed by Nutanix, right? Like a large sales. Yeah. So we do have a large, we do have a large sales team, if that's what you mean by direct sales. But our large sales team actually works very closely with our partners in terms of uh, selling it. So the actual sale happens through the channel model, but we have a pretty large sales force that works uh, hand in hand with our uh, channel partners to actually facilitate the sales and you know put give the solutions give the right solutions to our customers and so on understood i think it was the same model at cisco as well where cisco has a large direct sales force they work with their end customers but the fulfillment of the selling is done through a channel partner so it's a deal that is that's correct that's the reason i said it's i think more of a standard you know more traditional silicon (laughs) model the cisco's and the you know, the Junipers, I was at Juniper, they did very, something very similar. And then there will always be exceptions, some really large customers where you could go direct, but uh, the primary business goes through uh, the channel. And actually now as, you know, as companies move more towards subscription, there is this whole digital uh, channel where you could do some direct stuff, but channel channel plays a very big role in this. Got it. And so before we go into the, uh, the code to cash systems, I've seen this code to cash system uh, ownership is maintained typically by the IT team, but looks like you guys are a separate engineering team. You don't report into IT or like how is their, can you talk about how your code to cash is structured? Because that seems to be somewhat unique than what I've seen in the industry. I think you're correct where you said that most of the code to cash systems generally are part of an IT business application organization. Pretty much, but at Nutanix, we are different pretty much from day one. Uh, we had this model where many of these systems are part of, uh, you know, SaaS engineering. 
and you know that was i think i would i would give the credit to our uh, founder and uh, you know ex ceo dheeraj pandey who actually set it up you know had the foresight to actually set it up that way um, and then over time i've seen the advantage of that because that allows us to use uh, some core engineering capabilities to solve code to cash business problems which is not very common right i could use some of my you know data science engineers to build capabilities into our coding system as an example where we could drive cross sell upsell uh, which is which is a little unique in that sense so so we are set up that way uh, it's all whether it is the engineering teams whether it is the business applications team they're all part of the larger saas engineering umbrella and they kind of complement each other and help each other ultimately to solve business problems right so interesting and i'm assuming since you are engineering uh, and not it the budget allocation happens on those axes as well yes it does so we end up using uh, some r and d budget that helps with us so budget is a little uh, you know i wouldn't even try to explain it to you here but it is not the traditional gna budget uh, there is an r and d budget there is a gna budget and we do build quite a few things we are a very uh, you know api centric kind of a saas engineering team where for example you could call our coding system from outside you know and so on so yes it's a, it's a mix uh, but yes there are there are advantages to having a structure like this i know it looks a little little non traditional but at least based on what i've seen i have you know many of the recent companies are now moving to a similar kind of model mostly tech companies who have the capability to build things like the facebooks and the googles i think even they do uh, a similar kind of a model no no you you're absolutely right this is something that i'm seeing more and more on a regular basis i've also seen people hiring engineers and product managers in it organization but that was with a couple of companies only so it's getting more engineering focused it also helps it also helps with hiring actually hiring the right skill sets so for example we are a kafka user much easier hiring uh, engineers who can work on kafka uh, within the engineering organization right that's just the that's just how it is Cool. So let's let's get to the details uh, on the systems now. So for each of these different channels, you said you have a self serve. There is partners coming into your code to cash. So can you talk about the systems that power your code to cash pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, we are a combination of uh, you know build and buy. We our ERP and the CRM stack is quite traditional. So we are a big Salesforce user. Our uh, ERP is NetSuite. but what we have done uh, over time we built a lot of things around crm and erp so for example uh, we built our own cpq which is again not not the most common thing uh, we have our own billing platform where we do use zora but also have built a lot of capability around it so if we, if i look at our you know code to cash infrastructure it's a lot of home grown applications uh, saas applications that are used by our customers and partners Uh, whether it is for sizing of information, whether it is our CPQ, uh, working complementary to more of the traditional um, applications like you know Salesforce, Zora, and NetSuite. I see. And what what made you build your own CPQ? Like, did the the markets the CPQs available in the market were they not sufficient, or would it require more customization to what you guys wanted? So we we were actually using a CPQ from one of the larger vendors in the market. and we were one of their early customers but then as our business model changed and as we started moving from more of an appliance to a software to a subscription kind of a company uh, we very quickly realized that it was very difficult 
to actually uh, you know use that same system to support multiple business models it just became extremely inflexible where to roll things out plus we had this vision where we wanted our cpq not just for creating quotes we actually wanted it to be uh, an asset to our sales force right we actually wanted it to be where we could use machine learning we could use historical inputs to drive cross sell upsell and so on which wasn't going to be possible using an off the shelf off the shelf cpq so that's where we really wanted to you know build something that could really reduce the friction for our sales team and and make it much more easier to you know drive like i said cross sell upsell drive down discounts provide some indicators to our uh, sales teams and so on got it great parak so some follow ups on that so now since that the coating or the cpq has been rebuilt what are the biggest advantages that you or the sales team have seen uh, versus what you guys had earlier so one of the biggest advantages is just how fast we can move you know nutanix is a company that's big time into you know if you had to say what do we really care about is agility you know change in business models quickly uh, changing things the fact that we built it ourselves gives us immense amount of flexibility in terms of how fast we can move you know rolling out new business models and so on the other immediate thing that we've seen are things like you know quote turnaround time uh, reduction in uh, uh, discount levels which ultimately all impact the top line right so we've seen like huge amount of flexibility as well as direct impact to the business in terms of how our sales team is progressing we also in our roadmap have a lot of cool features where we are building things that can look at historical trends it can look at uh, you know where a product was sold uh, how a product was sold specific industries specific regions and and use that to uh, drive higher margins and lower discounts think almost uh, uh, the ultimate vision is gamification of coating and coating is a is not the most interesting space but if we can gamify it where a sales person or a partner can learn from what has happened in the past can get pointers to how they can do better deals you know ultimately it's about serving the customer right how can how can they provide the right solution to the customer that's that's really what our aim is interesting and did you build this on top of force.com or did you build this separately in a public cloud we actually built it separately in a public cloud uh, and it's not built on force.com it's actually a multi tenant architecture now you would ask me why multi tenant architecture <laughs> nutanix is not in the business of coating but the idea was that we wanted to build something that could very easily work with any system and we wanted to build uh, it almost as if nutanix was our customer number one so it's a multi tenant uh, independent software uh, that does integrate with uh, salesforce our crm system does uh, inherit the product master etc from uh, salesforce but at the same time works independently of it So it's not on the force.com platform. Got it. And what about the billing part, uh, Parag? I know you said it's a uh, combination. So billing, drone and correct. Uh, You're right. So billing is again our foundation. There is Zora. We do use Zora for our subscription billing, and this is primarily for transactions that come direct. But on top of it, or around it, we build a lot of other infrastructure. Whether it is, um, you know, how we do discounting bands, how we do promo codes. Uh, so that whole billing platform uh, works uh, uh, around zora and then ultimately whether it's a uh, a sale that happens through a back end po process through a channel partner or whether it happens through 
um, a direct uh, you know direct sale through online credit card all of it then ultimately gets sent back into our erp system so different models for sale but ultimately it's all all conversion converted to a single stream got it and if i go to the online experience how does that work is it tied to that cpq that you have built and the billing system or is there a separate stack for that no it it is tied to the tied to the system that we built and actually that was one of the reasons that we actually went in and you know built so much uh, capability in house because if you look at the market there are not too many systems that actually give you this you know a common seamless experience between cpq and billing now there are tools you know most of these companies will tell you yes they have their own modules and so on but if you have a lot of different business models and if there is a transition of business models it's not that easy uh, i think that's where a lot of our build came into place so if you go to the online it is the same systems you built and ultimately it all converges back uh, in the back got it and prag what are your biggest challenges uh, as it is concerning your quote to cash stack today like what are the biggest friction points so uh, let me let me tell you at a slightly higher level the as as i said at the beginning we are in the process of becoming a true subscription company so there is a lot that has to be done there uh, it is not just the business model change it is also the changes that have to happen in the core product right whether it is usage whether it is compliance right you know if you look at uh, saas uh, products the one of the advantages there is because the saas product runs within the vendor's infrastructure more often than not they have full control they know usage they know adoption they know uh, you know compliance they can actually shut it down right they can do all kinds of things when you have an on prem product it's not easy to do that now we are a company that's in that in between mode hybrid so so our so my my primary focus and it's also the company's primary focus is this completing the subscription journey where all our uh, business processes are geared towards subscription so not just selling subscriptions but also renewing subscriptions and also the product is capable of doing it so compliance ability to you know turn features off really understanding adoption and so on which can be a challenge in when your product is split between on prem and in the cloud understood and so anything that sort of leading to this question what are your biggest priorities uh, in terms of how you are trying to innovate on the code to cash i know you talked about earlier some of the roadmap items about gamification of coding what you can learn from what has been done in the past uh but are there any big rocks for you that you like to sort of resolve as you go along in the next few quarters i wouldn't call them as big rocks i think for us the biggest piece last year was building this whole uh, new cpq system that for me was a i would put that in the big rock category but we we got that done successfully you know we built a lot on top of it um over the last 6 months or so we have also built our own renewal engine that actually works closely with our uh, you know cpq system and uh, helps simplify the whole end to end process right from new sales all the way to doing renewals now it is about taking it to the next level right understanding looking at historical data um adding some machine learning to it doing some predictors in terms of uh, can something get renewed not renewed so really it is it is more of the i, I think the foundation is done it is now the 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 cool features on top of it that can give us a more competitive advantage right it's about how we can leverage the the overall intelligence and the knowledge of the field and help it with every sale that's that's really the game and then ultimately driving self service it is also taking the same capability that our internal users are using um, and then you know moving it out and having partners do the same thing 
so it's more self service don't need as many sales people and so on so it's a, it's a combination is how i put it got it and since you mentioned partners uh, a follow up question there do your partners quote out of your system or do they say that give us the data and we will quote out of our own system or a combination of both it's a combination of both it depends on what kind of partner we actually have partners where uh, or large distributors where who can log into our system and directly quote within our system and then there are also partners who will work with this dsts and you know quote out of their system so it's a combination uh, where we have to provide partners in some cases you know, you know skews and price lists and so on and in some cases the partners can directly come in and quote from our system so it varies it varies based on the type of the partner it varies based on if they are a oem whether they are a dsty whether they are a reseller it also varies based on where they are because the way partners work in asia pacific compared to europe compared to americas is very different um, and the services they provide is very different for example if you are in asia pacific uh, there are countries where there is no way you can do any business without any partners so the partner then has yeah. to be really able so it it's a it's a combination and we have to support you know each of those models got it you talked about usage based billing earlier when we when we were starting so can you talk about the your use case and how you got that done in your code to cash system and the reason i asked this is the usage based billing seems to be one of the the hot uh, topics in uh, in code to cash because there doesn't seem to be a good way of doing this today so when you look at the nutanix product uh, it helps you build your data center infrastructure ultimately so it's no different from say a public cloud except you could run it on prem or you could run it on say some of the capabilities that you provide in aws and so on so in order to move towards the usage based billing uh, there were multiple things that we needed now if it was something that was running in cloud infrastructure we provided then then we uh, had the capability to understand the usage right whether it was compute whether it was storage use and then we used that as a you know thinking about in simple terms as a unit of measure and we priced it at that level very similar to how a, a public cloud does and that's where our billing platform came into play so the billing platform got the usage we had a subscription setup and the billing platform would uh, invoice now if it was uh, something that is running in the uh, customer's infrastructure that is where it becomes interesting because now you have to figure out a way where for the customer to send the information and for you to bill them or invoice them on a regular basis so high level not very different from the what the public cloud vendors do the difference being not everything is running in our cloud right it could be running in in the customer's cloud so you have to have systems that are capable of understanding what is the usage first of all you have to define what do you mean by usage then you have to understand have systems running uh, that actually can measure that usage and send it out so you can then invoice the customers see that's where i think it gets a little interesting because true saas you don't have to jump through so many hoops because everything is accessible and visible if you are on prem there is a lot more there because now you are trying to get data from some customers on prem and working with the customer to get that information and what's the interface between this usage and your billing systems is it is it like a upload that happens on a weekly monthly basis or is it like api connection between your product and billing system where it is getting no, it's an api connection we get yeah when we are using our own data centers it's an api connection uh, we actually get data if i remember correctly uh, in 15 minute increments so we can like literally go down to 15 minutes and uh, do usage based billing at that level it's not a monthly upload or anything it's a true api call where you know the usage is sent to our billing infrastructure 
and then it is stored and then naturally invoiced on a monthly basis for a paygo customer or a commit customer and this uh, on the billing infrastructure i think i think by the way go ahead sorry. i was just going to add by the way that's where i think the apis and having an api based infrastructure is extremely important i think when you were asking me about why build things in house uh, because that was the other piece also where we were looking at uh because our business is not always the same right like how do we le- build the right apis and leverage the right apis for usage and billing interesting and so a related question to you prag so looks like you're using some industry standard systems here and you ended up building your own which is kind of very unique by the way at least in the cpq space i see a lot of companies building their own billing systems as they as they grow because they don't find anything that is a good combination of self serve and direct sales but you built your own cpq which is unique but anyways my question to you is uh, what's your advice or recommendation to sort of vendors in the space assuming that the build option was not available right so where do you see basically the industry should be where people are not forced to build on their own or is or is it a utopia that uh, uh, there's is there a perfect product possible where people can use that to support any of their business models or the agility that you talked about yeah that's a that's a great question uh, sandeep so when i think about see not every company has the first of all the the capability or the desire to build things in house it right. takes a lot of effort we were just fortunate that uh, we are a engineering company that uh, also had the budget to build things in house and it was not always about saving money it was about could we get some competitive advantage by building things in house right uh, so i would say most most customers are not like us as in most most uh, companies would want to go out and buy a product so when i look at what would help um, i think number one is to simplify the business model as much as possible because when you look at vendor products as soon as the business model becomes complicated you start trying to do too many things it becomes very difficult because at least i'm not aware of too many products in the market that have a very nice seamless way going from cpq to billing uh, and supporting multiple business models you know some companies are really good at or some vendors are really good at supporting pure online some are very good at supporting the you know pure back end po process uh, you know when it starts becoming a mix and a mishmash of the two uh, where the same customer could be buying to a channel based pure model and could be coming online and buying certain services or certain products online in a tri mode and so on it starts becoming more complicated now how do we so for companies that are looking to buy new products i would say try to simplify your model as much as possible it's not always the case but and for vendors come up with a way where it becomes easier to add you know implement new business models uh whether it is uh, the traditional on prem pure process or the more recent digital online process you know, i know i i answered at a at a higher level but i think uh, that that's how i would look at it because when you look at back end systems it it gets extremely complicated right where data is going which data and then most companies end up just having two completely separate processes two completely separate systems and then they just sync up the dollars at the end uh, i think that's not what we wanted to do and that's the reason for building all these things in house to provide a seamless experience to a customer and and prag you also touched upon that nutanix is sold through the public cloud vendors as well so how does that what is a code to cash channel like uh, steps for that process do you get usage or so, so the the public cloud correct correct the public cloud piece is is very new 
and when we talk about sold through the public cloud it's actually nutanix operating system or nutanix software running on say aws one mm. of our products clusters actually allows you to uh, bring your licenses and run nutanix software on aws and because it's nutanix software running on aws pair multi the same uh, usage based capabilities that we have where we can meter figure out the usage and send it back to nutanix already exist so it's not like it's a completely standalone completely separate something happening there uh, the same software that can run on prem can also run on aws i think that's the unique advantage that nutanix provides in terms of hybrid cloud infrastructure got it so but when this is running in the public cloud and let's say i bought it uh, in the public cloud so how does the billing or take place in that case so there could be two ways one you could buy your usage whatever you are going to spend upfront through a traditional purchase order process and we we create a subscription for you with the right amount of dollars and then you kind of decrement it as you start using Fair. it based on the usage and then the other is where you are not buying anything upfront but you are on a paygo model where you come online create a subscription spin up the right instances and then based on the usage that you uh, that we get back we'll charge you based on a credit card so two two models both both allowed ultimately it is the usage that decides whether i'm decrementing dollars or i am adding dollars to the account so that we can you know bill you on a monthly basis using a credit card understood or for that matter even a, even a po you know invoice only process and things like that got it got it and parag i'm still fascinated by what you guys built internally in your with your cpq so a question related to that I don't know if you can share like how long did it take you to build that and how big was the team uh, to build that CPQ that you guys are using today. So we earnestly started uh, the implementation in uh, July August of 2019 and our first phase went live April of 2020. So you know 6 7 months was the first phase uh, and we phased it out because for uh, we have a large sales team and the intention was not like a just a flip of a switch and everybody moves over but a big chunk of users went live in the first phase and then over the next uh, quarter or so we slowly started moving uh, uh, users over and capabilities over uh, wherein you know 95% of all users had moved over uh, uh, by you know end of august uh, early september of 2020 so if i had to say how long did it take us to move Uh, you know, ninety-five, ninety-seven percent of the users over. I would say one year. Our first uh, goal I was in seven months, and then it that was a release literally every two weeks as we kept adding functionality to it. Understood. And I'm assuming you must have had to build a, a deep connection with Salesforce CRM uh, because that's where your sales would originate. Any interesting stories that you want to share on connecting these two systems together? <laughs> <laughs> no so you are absolutely right because salesforce ultimately is our product master and is our customer master so we uh, we do pull that data from salesforce uh, we looked at various ways you know the traditional api base we use looked at event processing we looked at uh, batch calls we looked at various integration frameworks whether it was uh, the traditional ai models or kafka and so on but finally settled on most of the integrations happening to kafka and it it was uh when i say our first release was 7 months i would say the first couple of months were literally spent in design right really trying to figure out how it is because when you're thinking about a cpq system uh, it can go down you know you're looking at uh, you know four nines five nines uptime and so on so um, so a lot of effort spent there in terms of 
how the data would be synced across the systems synchronous asynchronous all of that but again there was no uh, i wouldn't say anything totally ground breaking i think a lot of these capabilities in terms of integrating are already available in the market uh, but it was just a question of paying attention to the details right you know whether we are doing combined api calls or, or what kind of uh, event processing are we using how are we monitoring the capabilities if something happens in salesforce it should not impact our homegrown cpq and vice versa right things like that so got it and and uh, and it was not a huge team i think to your other question it was not a huge team it was around 10 11 people primarily in india helping space that's very neat prag uh, a related question uh, for you here assuming based on what you know right now and you were given a chance to recreate the code to cash stack from start a clean slate um are there any recommendations or suggestions uh, or would you do anything different let me just ask you that way if you were not to inherit this thing you have to draw your own picture uh, like i said i think it is about flexibility within the systems if i was looking for a complete blank slate code to cash especially in the newer world right as more and more companies are moving towards subscription uh, one of the things i would say is much tighter i don't know if integration is the right word but much tighter connection between the so called cpq modules and billing because today they are kind of separate most companies even sell it as separate modules but you know how do how can the two work much more in sync uh, the idea being whatever is your traditional uh, selling model whether through a traditional purchase order and so on and your online should work much more seamlessly where for the customer it shouldn't matter whether they went through a, you know sending a purchase order or, or giving a credit card everything should show up Uh, in a common user, common seamless user experience. So I would say one of my uh, big things would be how do you have these two things really working closely together, syncing data, sending information back and forth. Uh, and then the other would be uh, as much as possible uh, API based uh, API based ar- architecture, so that if you want to call certain capabilities from external, uh, you know parties or external agencies we work a lot with partners many partners will come in and say or oh, just give us apis and we'll send you the information that's another piece that i would really look at i you know api culture is the number one thing right without that we really can't build anything uh, in the new world got it in the current world is our <laughs> hey prag uh, this brings us to the end of the podcast but before we let you go can you share uh, a business resource maybe a book a blog or a podcast uh, with the audience that you thought was very interesting Uh, sure actually one of the current books i am reading is uh, uh, is called the diversity bonus you know it's something that titanix uh, you know takes very seriously in terms of its focus on diversity and inclusion and i found this book very interesting actually the author's name is scott page he is a professor at university of michigan for focus around diversity and inclusion uh, and he had come and talked to us at one of our uh, offsites so i found the book really uh, interesting and also very enriching in terms of uh, you know why diversity is important and how it really helps uh, look at problems in a unique way uh, in a different way uh, and at the end of it in a much more efficient way this is very interesting parak so is there any insight that that or like one insight that you can share that you've already implemented or thinking of implementing in like i i'm always uh, very interested in the practical applications of these learnings so we'll be curious to know if you have applied any of these learnings in your so own. i'll give you an example and i wouldn't say i have applied it it is just what i have noticed over time right 
so uh, in an engineering organization you normally lean towards hiring more engineers right as in more com science background writing code and so on uh, but uh, at the same time when you look at say something like data science they are still writing code many of them are com science graduate but many of them also have a major in areas like statistics or economics or you know uh, completely different areas right and you will see the different perspective that they bring to the table you know i'm just giving you a very real life example that i see uh, on a daily basis right uh, another experience is ux just the user experience piece of it as in uh, having somebody you know, like gaming is a great example where you will see user experience uh, individuals who come from a very different background and are working closely with engineers to build games we see that all the time in our user experience group right where the um where the backgrounds are very different uh, the way of looking at things is very different uh, so these are like two very live examples right that i see on a regular basis and they are not nutanix specific as in you see that in the industry all the time right where getting people to come in who can give you a very different perspective and look at a problem very differently uh, is is a very efficient way of looking and solving the problem awesome hey prag once again thanks for your time today it was uh, it was a great chatting with you Absolutely thank you for having me